Kia ora, I'm Johnny Steiger, and welcome to FBT Podcasts, the 11-minute fact edition, where we take a look at things inside of pop culture and compile facts and stats in an unbiased manner. Continue to consult your healthcare professionals for direct advice on use of medication and substances, as this podcast is done by an amateur. Today, we look at marijuana, also known as dope, dack, kush, weed, Gas, Mary Jane, Blunts, Cannabis, Gunja, Hash, Pot, Reefer, Buds, the slang could probably go on forever. And I'm looking at what we know about it so far. For reference, THC in this podcast refers to tetrahydrocannabinol, the chemical response in Buds that creates a high in humans. FBT Podcasts, live from New Zealand. So to start, here's a couple of facts about marijuana. There are multiple strands of marijuana. Every one of those strands fits into one of three categories. So there's sativa, indica, or hybrid. Sativa is what is referred to as the daytime weed. It activates your mind, gives you a head high, and makes you a little bit more alert. They say it enhances creativity. Indica, or the nighttime strain, is a little bit more potent, and the leaves are usually darker. Indica indicates that it's time to relax. That's how you can remember that. Indica indicates it is time to relax. Used for body high, relaxation, appetite stimulation, and pain relief. And the third category is hybrid. When strains from each of those categories, sativa and indica, are mixed together to make a somewhere in the middle mix. So where did marijuana come from? And why is it illegal? As far as we know, cannabis has had an extremely long history of human use. Most cultures grew the plant as a herbal medicine, rather as a source for a high. The cannabis, or hemp plant, originally evolved in Central Asia, around 500 BC. People then introduced the plant into Africa, Europe, and eventually into America. Hemp fiber was used to make clothing, paper, sails, and rope, and its seeds were used as food. Burnt cannabis seeds have been found in graves of shamans in China and Siberia from as early as 500 BC, creating evidence that ancient cultures knew about the psychoactive effects of cannabis. It's thought that they may have altered plants to produce higher levels of THC for religious ceremonies and healing practices. Medical-wise, in the 1830s, a doctor from Ireland called Sir William Brooke O'Shaughnessy was studying in India, and he found that cannabis extract could help lessen stomach pain and vomiting in people who were suffering from a disease called cholera. By the late 1800s, cannabis extracts were sold in pharmacies and doctor's offices throughout Europe and the United States, commonly to treat stomach problems and other ailments. An ancient Greek historian fella named Herodotus described the Scythians, a large group of Iranian nomads in Central Asia, inhaling the smoke from smouldering cannabis seeds and flowers to get high. Hashish, which is a purified form of cannabis smoked with a pipe, was widely used throughout the Middle East and parts of Asia after about 800 AD. In the USA, pot wasn't widely used for recreational purposes until the early 1900s, when immigrants, predominantly from Mexico to the United States, during the tumultuous years of the Mexican Revolution, introduced the recreational practice of smoking marijuana into American culture. Massive unemployment and social unrest during the Great Depression stoked resentment of Mexican immigrants and public fear of the, quote, evil weed, causing the substance to be banned in 29 states by the early 1930s. 
As a part of the war on drugs in 1970s, the US president at the time, Richard Nixon, signed in a law called the Controlled Substances Act that listed marijuana in the same category of drug as heroin, LSD and ecstasy. In 1972, a report from the National Commission on Marijuana and Drug Abuse, also known as the Shafter Commission, released a report titled Marijuana, a Signal of Misunderstanding. The report recommended partial prohibition and lower penalties for possession of small amounts of marijuana. Nixon and the other government officials, however, ignored the report's findings. The law from old mate Nixon carries quite a few conspiracies around like political and racial issues, and that's where getting high hits its lows, to be honest. In the 1930s, a guy called Harry J. Anslinger, we're just going to call him Harry, head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, turned the battle against marijuana into an all-out war. Some believe that he was motivated less by safety concerns and more by a desire to promote his freshly created department. After all, the vast majority of scientists that he surveyed claimed that the drug was not dangerous. Whatever the impetus, Harry sought a federal ban on the drug. And to this end, he initiated a high-profile campaign that relied heavily on racism. He claimed that the majority of pot smokers were minorities, like African Americans or Hispanic people, and that marijuana had an effect on those, quote, degenerate races, such as indulging in violence and causing insanity. Furthermore, he noted, quote, Reefer makes darkies think they're as good as white men. Perhaps even more worrisome to this fella was pot's supposed threat to white women's virtue. He believed that smoking pot would result in their having sex with black men. Literally only one of the 30 scientists that this fella asked about marijuana said it did more harm than good. But after a man of the time who brutally killed his mother, named Victor Licata, was broadcasted by old mate Harry as a result of what happens when you smoke the quote, devil's weed. Countries started banning the substance, and most just haven't reversed that since. But here's the catch. Years later, somebody went and looked at the psychiatric files for Victor Licata. It turns out there's no evidence he ever actually smoked cannabis. Literally only one out of the 30 scientists that this fella asked about marijuana said it did more harm than good. So in short, racism, a guy who wanted to keep his job that he didn't need. So in short, racism and a guy who wanted to keep a job that he didn't need contributed to the illegalization of the plant. So what about mental health? The biggest arguments against marijuana is the belief that it can contribute or cause mental health disorders, such as psychosis, depression or anxiety. Over the last 10 years, multiple studies have shown that marijuana use in adolescents can be a contributing factor in triggering or worsening the symptoms of serious psychotic mental illnesses, mainly schizophrenia. With that though, studies have also found that young people with a predisposition to developing a psychotic illness may be drawn to weed at an earlier age as a form of self-medication. So it goes both ways. A study done in Europe, however, found that as many as one in five newly diagnosed cases of psychosis might be linked to daily cannabis use, according to data gathered from 11 hospitals across Europe. People who use pot daily were three times more likely to have a first-time diagnosis of psychosis and five times more likely if they used high-potency THC-containing marijuana every day. The same doctor did say in response to the question of does weed cause schizophrenia, 
that developing a psychotic illness is multifactorial and it's never just one thing. This area of research still seems a little bit dull. He goes on to say that it's hard to prove for sure and we don't have a specific number of joints or a specific dose of cannabis that we know is likely going to trigger a psychotic experience. The research around marijuana's link to depression and anxiety, however, is still quite undeveloped. While I was looking into the possible link between the two, the results that were returned were very few and far between, sadly. The few long-term studies that have been done all show extremely mixed results. A 2014 review of the existing research concluded that using cannabis placed an individual at moderate risk of developing depression. Unfortunately, it was not within the scope of the research to determine if cannabis use was causing depression, or if the relationship instead reflects the association between cannabis use and social problems, considering the other factors that often come with pot use that increase risk of depression, such as dropping out of school or unemployment. The relationship between cannabis use and anxiety is also extremely complex. Many people use cannabis for its euphoric and relaxing effects, but some people also experience feelings of anxiety or paranoia when intoxicated. As such, cannabis could be used to relieve anxiety or stress for some while causing others to feel anxious. The bottom line that I've found so far is simply that marijuana use and depression accompany each other more often than you might expect by chance. But there is no clear evidence that marijuana directly causes depression. Weed when taken in the wrong setting or in a bad time of life can cause the user to excessively overthink things. So depending on the overall normal mindset of the person, that can either result in long-term positive mental effects, for example, a more relaxed and overall positive outlook on life and people in general. But also, on the other hand, it can lead people into social self-isolation. If the user begins to assume that all the negative things in life that they think about themselves while high is also thought about their other peers, that's what leads, you know, starts the rabbit hole on the way down. For years, stoners have claimed that you cannot get addicted to marijuana. Are they right? Do you trust the stoners? Well, let's look into this one. According to statistics, only about one in seven people who use marijuana develop addictions or abuse the substance with overuse. However, there is the expectation that that number is rising as higher potency becomes more common in different strains, higher potency of THC. You've got to smoke pot every day for a long time to create an addiction. So why is that? Most substances which people get addicted to are due to chemicals which make the brain produce serotonin and endorphins, or the fun chemical, the party chemical inside of you, to make your brain think that you're having a good time, which usually you somewhat are. But behavioural addiction is more where marijuana fits into the category of the big A word. Behavioural addiction is a deep study, but I've tried summarising it best like this. Behavioural addiction is when you implement the same thing consistently in your life that causes the brain to release serotonin, usually at the same time in your routine every day or every week. So much to the point where when you don't do the thing you're behaviourally addicted to, you get irritated and have withdrawals. For example, a clean drug addict can still experience withdrawal symptoms, even if they've been clean for months or years, if they go to the same alleyway where they once had been sold drugs a few times before. They get there, the brain says, do the thing that gets me the serotonin. And when you don't do it, it goes, hey, we're here. When we're usually here, we do the thing to get the serotonin, the weed or, you know, the drug. So, 
do the thing and get the bloody serotonin. It's similar with weed. So far, studies are showing that it's not the THC in itself that causes drug abuse, but rather the effect, the high, that people miss in their routines and continue to overuse the substance, leading to an addiction. So in the short answer, yes, you can get addicted to marijuana, but not because of the chemical dependency, but rather because of the behavioural addictions. Which leads us to our final question. The most common argument for voting no to marijuana legislations. Can you overdose on marijuana? A fatal overdose on marijuana is highly unlikely according to research, but it's not impossible. According to reputable sources such as the National Institute on Drug Abuse, there have been no overdose deaths linked to cannabis ever. The estimated amount of marijuana that you would have to ingest to die is 1500 pounds in 15 minutes. Now I haven't worked it out exactly, but that would fill the back of a mini. You'd have to smoke a mini's worth of a mini's worth of buds to overdose in 15 minutes. However, there has certainly been many documented cases of people needing medical attention after getting too high too quickly. Classic. Though not necessarily symptoms of an overdose, there are without a doubt signs that marijuana has been overconsumed, such as escalated heart rates, headaches, pale skins, paranoid thoughts or hallucinations, confusion, panic attacks. Symptoms like the ones described there shouldn't be ignored under any circumstances. Do not let the fact that the symptoms originated from cannabis prevent you from seeking help. Always seek medical intervention if it becomes necessary, even if you've just been on the sesh. They won't charge you, go to the hospital. So, to recap, marijuana has been used since 500 AD. It was made illegal predominantly due to racism and some guy trying to keep his job as the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. Marijuana doesn't directly cause mental disabilities, but conditions can be exacerbated by regular use of THC. Marijuana doesn't directly cause mental disabilities, but conditions can be exacerbated by regular use of THC. Weed or THC is addictive, but in a behavioural rather than in a chemical way, you need to smoke a lot of pounds of the green in 15 minutes, 1500 of them, to end yourself. That's your 11 minute facts podcast from FBT Podcast. Just a quick side note, time of on the spot one here. THC vapes, no, no go. All the lung issues and deaths from vaping that you've seen in the States, you know, popcorn lung and all that, all of the vapes that they used had THC in them. So, you know, that can cause popcorn lung. Stay away from the THC vapes. Cheers for joining us on FBT Podcast today, live from New Zealand. Join us next week on 11 Minute Facts, where we yarn about the things in pop culture that you might need a bit of help knowing about.